Don't sit down. Grab your Bibles. Turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to take a little detour, as mentioned. Uh, Pastor Doug is not here. I'm not Pastor Doug. I'm Kevin Smith, um, one of the assistant pastors here. So we're going to take a little detour, but I think you will find that this is deeply connected to the study that Pastor Doug and Ryan have been doing through 1 Corinthians. So if you're there at chapter 4 of Ephesians, starting at verse 1, we'll be reading through verse 6. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, to a body of believers, just like we are gathered here this morning. And he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father, or God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. Over the last several months, as you know, Pastor Doug and the leadership here at CCSE have been preparing for a pastoral transition as Pastor Doug and his wife Janet hand off, uh, as he hands off the role of senior pastor. And you'll notice I didn't say um, Pastor Doug's retirement. Even Doug would say he is not retiring. After all, I think we can all agree There is no retiring from the ministry that God has entrusted to each and every one of us. There is only a change of responsibilities. During this time, Pastor Doug has been teaching through the book of Jude and is now teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And and it's been his desire to, to pass along, to share with with the body that he has shepherded for 30 years, those things closest to his heart. Those things that he thinks must be once again shared before he hands this off to another. In the book of Jude, this is where he's been teaching, where he says we were warned to beware of false teachers, to guard ourselves, to guard the church, against the rebellious, prideful, and destructive teaching of ungodly men, to stay the course in God's word. We were called to remember the coming judgment as a warning, the coming judgment of those who live and teach in ways contrary to sound biblical doctrine. We're commanded to build ourselves up not by our own strength, but reliance upon the Holy Spirit, build ourselves up in the love of Christ to be diligent in prayer as we are led by His Spirit, demonstrating mercy and grace as we are encouraged to fulfill the gospel, and and having compassion on those who are doubting, 
perhaps those who have fallen away, and, and even those who have rejected the message and are perishing, to have compassion and mercy towards them. And then in 1 Corinthians, as followers of Christ, we are told to remember who called us. Who it was that called us in the condition in which we were when we were called. Not many mighty, not many strong. To remember the grace of the Lord that brought us to this point of faith. As we remember the grace and the giver of it, we are warned to avoid any kind of divisions or disunity that comes from following anyone but Jesus. And this is, of course, one of the great challenges anytime a senior pastor moves on, that there can be kind of these camps that develop. And this is the warning for us to remain united in Christ. And finally, last week, we were reminded of the wisdom of God and how the wisdom of God is compared to the supposed wisdom of this world, which is actually the foolishness, foolishness as God sees it. We must abide in Jesus through fellowship with his spirit. That the, the truth of God's word will be understood and applied in our lives and that we would not miss it. Um, and we co- he quoted last week, Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That whatever we do, that whatever we think, whatever ideas or visions we might have need to be in line with the wisdom of God. Because we possess nothing of eternal value or significance except that that which was given to each one of us. As Doug said last week, we need to have this mindset, just get over yourself. which means I need to look beyond my own desires and comforts and yield to the purposes of Jesus, pouring out the compassion, the grace, the mercy, the patience and love I have personally received, that we have received from the Lord himself. What we are and what we have to offer to this, to this corrupt and dying world to this nation, the state, even our communities is found in and through an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? This relationship and the evidence of it ought to be preserved at all cost as far as it is dependent upon me, upon you and I. Which brings us to our passage in Ephesians. Now, Paul wrote this letter, as I mentioned early on, to the church, the body of believers. This isn't just like, uh, you know, we kind of say the church and we forget that the church is the people. Human beings, fallen and and broken and weak and a mess. As 
as Paul wrote to um, the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, describing all of us as jars of clay, that we possess in us a treasure in a jar of clay that is cracked and chipped, but despite that is being held together by the tremendous power and love of Jesus Christ. He writes this letter to the believers in Ephesus while he is in a Roman prison. But he's desiring to strengthen and encourage not only the believers in Ephesus, but other believers as well. And this is kind of hinted at in the book of Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, where he references this other letter that is to be read amongst the churches. So he's referring, we believe, to the book or the letter to the church in Ephesus. And the overarching theme of Ephesians is God's eternal purpose to establish and complete his body, his church, the bride of Christ. Now, this could be broken down into three subsections, the position of believers, the practice of believers, and the protection of believers. David Guzik, I, I, I really appreciate bits from his commentary. Uh, I connect with it well, but he sums up Ephesians in this way. He says, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Ephesians, then, is the fulfillment of this, he writes. It reveals the things God has prepared for those who love him. Now, as we study Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, I want to ask the question, what has the Lord prepared for us? One of those things, and he makes it very clear, in verse 3, is the unity in the Spirit through the bond of peace. He has prepared for us a unity in the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, Therefore I, the prison of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I, I, like, I like old books. Um, if you were to go up to my office, you'll see there's a lot of old Bibles. Some of them are family Bibles. You'll see some other old books, um, like as I say, spiritual books, books that point us towards Christ. And so I like using old dictionaries because a lot of the old dictionaries maintain the spiritual implications of definitions of words. So if you were to go to the 1895 version of Webster's Dictionary, which you can do online, actually. You can actually download it on your phone. But it says this of the word preserve. It's from the Latin, to save before. To keep from injury or destruction. To save from decay by use of a preservative substance as sugar, salt, etc., to maintain throughout, to keep intact, 
The synonyms are to include save, secure, keep, and protect. Notice that one of the examples right there in the middle is applied to the preservation of fruit or meat. Now, I've shared bits and pieces of this before. As a kid growing up in the Yakima Valley of central Washington, fresh fruit was a prominent and highly valued aspect of that community and culture. And in an entirely delicious part of life. We were surrounded by many of my favorite fruits and vegetables. Cherries, apples, pears, plums, apricots, to name a few, and of course, peaches, one of my favorites. Perhaps my favorite. <laughs> you see, as, as warm, those warm fall nights kind of shifted into that crisp fall nights and then into winter, fresh fruits, they disappear. And for many families like mine, we wanted to preserve those. We wanted to secure our year-round supply of our favorites, especially peaches. And so my mom would put up cases, cases of canned peaches. We didn't want to lose those, the, the sweet, joy-inducing experience of those little orange sunlight globes in a jar. So we preserved them. We protected them, saved or secured that which should not be lost. In verse 3, Paul reminds us to protect, to secure, or preserve the unity of his spirit in the bond of peace. Why is that so important? Why does he write this to the believers, to you and I, to me today? In John chapter 17, we see Jesus is in his hours, his final hours before he's arrested and then crucified he is in the upper room with his disciples. Judas has departed to betray Jesus. And the Lord offers this prayer to the Father, which is often referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. So the perfect priest is praying for his disciples. Again, that's you and I today as well. And among those things he prays for is this, John 17, 20 through 23. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory with which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. In them and you, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected, perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Why is unity in the Spirit through the bond of peace so important? That second half of John, verse 21, tells us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And then the very last part of uh, 23, that they may be perfected in unity. 
so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus also said in John 13, verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples in that you have love for one another. Look back now again at verse 1. Paul says that we ought to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Through Paul, the Lord is reminding us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. What is our calling? What is it that he has called us to? Is it to attend church this, this morning? Is it to be servants in the church or some other parachurch ministry? To be a missionary, to be religious people? Paul would say, may it never be. No, we are called to much, much more than this. You and I, we are called to be followers of Jesus and representatives of his kingdom. He says we are ambassadors. Whatever else we might become in life, accountants, carpenters, teachers, homemakers, students, any other walk of life, all of them must be secondary, secondary to Jesus and our walk and relationship with him. Bear with me, we are not called to be Christian mechanics, Christian teachers or students. Those are titles that, if we look around, often reveal very little of what we believe. No, we, we are followers, first and foremost, primarily followers of the Lord Jesus and His purposes to serve him and him alone in every position of life and for his glory and not our own. I mean, isn't it amazing that as we think about it, we were purchased. And in fact, we agreed to the purchase. We were purchased by the love and blood of Jesus for the purpose of making his name known in every circumstance, in every area and walk of life. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. By our confessions, we ought to live, be living only to serve and honor the Lord in all things. And to do this, we must be united by our common faith and service to Him. Again, notice in verse 3, it says, In the bond of peace, it does not say through the bond of a senior pastor or a favorite Bible teacher or through any other human-led human ministry. 
No, our unity is by his spirit and through his peace. If we are followers of Jesus, we're not only vessels, those jars of clay of the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit is also the one who holds us together. As I mentioned there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, though we may be hard-pressed on every side, we are not crushed. Persecuted, but not despairing. The Spirit is the bond, the glue, the source of peace. What does peace mean? Zondervan's Bible Dictionary says, a spirit of tranquility and freedom from either inward or outward disturbances. A spiritual tranquility which all can enjoy when through faith in Christ they are brought into a right relationship with God. Jesus says to his followers in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give it to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, guiding us, convicting us of sin, confirming and speaking the truth. However, peace only comes when we are consistently surrendered to the Spirit. Return to verse uh, 1 through 3. He lists these things out. He says, Therefore I, Paul, the prisoner, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance, and being diligent. You see, God has provided the preserving recipe. To preserve the most joyous thing that we could possess in this relationship with Christ. If my desire is to thoroughly enjoy the satisfying kind of sweet tartness of summer peaches during the winter, I need a tried and true recipe for canned peaches. To thoroughly enjoy the blessings of unity, we must follow the recipe the Lord has provided. It requires us to consistently measure out humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, love, and diligence. And if indeed those things are prayerfully and obediently combined, peace with God and with others is evident Paul says, all humility. Humility is the starting and finishing point for every follower of Jesus. To arrive at a surrendered heart and receive the gift of salvation requires each of us to acknowledge our need for a rescuer and, and, and the Lord's ability and desire to rescue us. The first humble confession a faith leads to another and another and another until the humble state, the humble state of his disciple is greater at the end than at the beginning. 
John Flavel, a 15th century Puritan minister, explained it something like this. When the peach is nearly ripe, the limb bows the head and stoops lower than when it was green. When the people of God are near ripe for heaven, they grow more humble and self-denying. Paul had one foot in heaven when he called himself the chief of sinners and least of saints. For you and I to discover, for you and I to discover a true view of the Lord and all his, in his majesty and glory, power, authority, wisdom, grace, it brings the strong to their knees. The wise to avert their eyes and the proud and the rich to surrender their wealth and cry for mercy. Because when I see him, I see myself for who I truly am. In all my weaknesses and all my flaws and failures, yet in that I see the glory and kindness of Jesus. And this is a lifelong process. And it leads us to what we see in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. It says, The 24 elders will fall before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And because of you, will they, your will, they existed and were created. It reorients our life and our priorities. Nothing seems dear to us except Jesus. If we have acquired a measure of humility then, we are led to gentleness, or some translations say meekness. To be sure, Meekness is not as we see it often in our world as weakness, a doormat. We know for a fact from Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus is not a weak man. He had no hesitation in that moment to exercise his physical strength and his spiritual authority to chase thieves from the temple courts and say, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. No, meekness is described in the Greek as a soothing medicine, a soft wind or a broken colt. It is power under control. It considers the fragile nature of others and restrains itself for their benefit. In World War II, they still used horses. Or World War I, sorry. And they trained war horses specifically. They trained, to train them, they first had to break them. To break the horse, to bring it to a place of submission, we might say humility. Afterwards, the horse was trained to respond to commands, making it useful to pull heavy loads, heavy equipment, transport wounded, and to carry a soldier into battle. You see, the war horse naturally possessed great power. But after training, after submitting to the master, 
Their power was under control for the benefit of others. And their usefulness and their value was increased in the battle. As disciples, in addition to whatever power or authority we might naturally have, we also possess this tremendous power of the Holy Spirit, this supernatural thing. But this power and authority are only useful to the kingdom of God when coupled with humility. Through submission to the guiding wisdom of the Spirit, gentleness or meekness restrains the frustrated or angry heart and pours out mercy. The process of training a disciple, a valuable resource, you and I, a valuable resource to God and his kingdom, also requires patience or long-suffering. That is, the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. Do you, do you understand, do we understand that we are a valuable resource to the Lord? He doesn't need us but he wants to use us. And the Father deals with us patiently as with a stubborn horse. He didn't beat us or whip us or cut us and, and, and then make us into these cowering slaves. No, he patiently and lovingly as his word says, as with an only daughter or son, disciplined and poured out grace upon us again and again and again. The Lord endured our mistakes. He suffered long. Throughout Israel's history, we see God's faithfulness and patience repeated repeatedly demonstrated to a people that he describes in Exodus chapter 32, verse 9, as a st obstinate, stiff-necked people. Are we any different? I certainly am not. I certainly find myself exhibiting the signs of an obstinate and stiff-necked person. We are no different. We are not gentle or meek towards others at times, especially in their weaknesses. We assume the worst of others before considering the grace and patience that we ourselves have received. You see, in these and many other offenses, the Lord has been faithful to keep his promise to his children, to you and me. As we've been studying through the book of Genesis, we see this in the life of Abraham as he repeatedly receives the covenant from God the promise of a child, and yet in complete lack of faith, passes his wife off as his sister, jeopardizing her, her life, his life, and all that are with him. Not once, but twice. And those are just two instances. He continued to lovingly train and discipline if we yield to him and his kindness, the result is a carefully trained instrument of spiritual warfare. Possessing great power, but wielding it with humility 
gentleness, and patience. So if we've considered our calling as servants and representatives of God's kingdom, we will have a desire to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, which is a reliance on and power of the Holy Spirit. Humility then becomes both our calling card and our thank you note in every encounter. <coughs> it becomes these things in every encounter as we employ the Lord's authority and power with self-control, gentleness, and patience. And this leads us to the gift of showing tolerance for one another in love. Tolerance and forbearance are almost inseparable. To put it simply, it means to be slow to take matters into our own hands. By responding to someone's faults or injuries and to be self-sacrificing. By responding to someone's faults or injuries by being self-sacrificing. We need only glance at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This is tolerance and love. This is not tolerance as the world describes it. This is based in the love and the truth of God and His Word. As someone said, to be tolerant or forbearing is to hold back from payback. Because it is motivated by God holding himself back. How many times in our lives? Many in mine. Why? Because he is love. That's how he is describing himself. That is his central character trait. And his incredible offering of his blood for our stiff-necked behavior covers a multitude of sins, his word says. How could we, how could we, those who have been purchased for his glory, do anything less? Especially, especially to the family of faith. We preserve our joyous and, and an awe-inspiring unity by remembering our calling, practicing humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love. However, verse 3 reminds us and mentions that this requires diligence. I, I am a type A person. Uh, for those of you that have been on a mission trip with me, you know this. <laughs> I, I'm a list maker, a planner to the nth degree. Let me be clear. Diligence is not perfection. Diligence is not perfection. Oh, that is our goal, right? To be complete, perfect in Christ. But diligence is not perfection. 
Rather, it is a consistent and conscious decision to daily pick up our cross and follow Jesus. It is a daily pursuit of a relationship with God centered on Christ so our attitudes, our priorities are realigned or aligned. And, and this does not happen overnight. Diligence isn't a one-and-done exercise. No, diligence is acquired by a persistent, desperate clinging to the strength and grace of Jesus. It is waking up and going to bed with the words of the Father ringing in our ears. Diligence is what allows a person to endure Army Special Forces training or Navy SEAL training. Diligence is what allows a farmer year after year to, by faith, grow crops. And yes, through the trials and testing to produce a man and a woman after God's own heart. What does it look like? Verses 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father over all who is over all and through all and in all. If we are diligently pursuing a unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, by exercising these spiritual gifts mentioned in verses 1 through 3, then other believers and even the unbelieving world will see us as one body. His disciples pulling in the same direction, encouraging, strengthening, enduring, tolerating others' weaknesses. People will see that we are led by one spirit who is our source of strength and peace and truth. As we publicly declare through baptism our death of life in Christ. The death of the old person and being raised in life through Christ. They will observe us pursuing one hope, one Lord, one faith. A relationship with Jesus which cleanses us from sin and gives us peace and freedom from guilt and shame. And imparts a boldness, a bold confidence, as the word says, in all circumstances. Because we look forward to the future. The eternal rest that we will have with God through Christ. And all of this is given to us as a gift from the one and only God and Father. Who knows, who sees, and directs all the affairs of the universe, and yet knows each one of us intimately. If indeed we are living, if I am living consistently according to, our, to my calling as an ambassador of the Lord... 
If we are doing this, his disciples or followers, does it look like we are one in the Spirit? Does it look like that we are viewing others as better than ourselves? Are you and I characterized as full of humility? Do we act toward each other with gentleness or meekness? Allowing the Spirit of Christ to restrain us, to subdue our frustrations. To hold back. As we tenderly serve one another. Will others see us as as patient or long-suffering? In our interactions with each other, are we tolerant? Allowing disagreements or offenses to roll roll off us like water off a freshly waxed car. I know we don't see that here in Oregon much, but... Even as we remember our own weaknesses or offenses, will sacrificial love be the Lord's mark of ownership on you and me? And in all these things, will diligence be named among us? Will people look at CCSE or us as individuals and say, those are diligent, godly people? Here at CCSE, we have enjoyed several models, mottos over the, wor- over the years, catchphrases, things we've been known for. One of them is, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And one that we see quite often, keeping the main thing the main thing. You see, each of these are reminding us of the importance of keeping the truth of God's Word and the Spirit of the Lord at the center, at the center of our teaching, worship, fellowship, and service. To keep the Lord at the center of our attitudes towards one another. You see, change is certain in life. And when we experience changes like what we are experiencing right now as we transition, which is, it's a good thing. Pastor Doug has even said this is a good thing. But as we experience, it can often ignite in us some insecurities. Will we be people who cling to the truth of God's word, teaching, worship, fellowship, and service in such a way that we are utilizing these graces that Paul speaks of here in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It's been my joy to learn. I was, I think, 25 years old 
not quite 25 years old, when I came to Calvary Chapel. Back then, it was Calvary Chapel North Clackamas. I've been here to learn, to worship, to serve, even to teach for nearly 30 years. In August of this year, it will be 30 years. Serving alongside, learning from Pastor Doug as he has modeled Christ. And, and it's my hope and my prayer that we will continue in the manner that we have been taught and led. That I wouldn't cease demonstrating a love for Jesus by loving others until he returns. If that's another 30 years, praise the Lord. I kind of hope it's not. <laughs> but that I would be diligent. I would be personally diligent to apply these things on a daily basis through the power of His Spirit. If we choose to be one in the Lord, offering one hope, one faith, one baptism, we will be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. An anchor, a hope for people who are perishing and need to find a way home. A light in the darkness. The preserving salt of the earth, as Jesus said of us. A spring of living water. Refreshing people and one another. And a people who offer the bread of life and the love of the Father. That's what we could be. I think that's what we are now, but we need to endeavor, as he says, be diligent to continue to preserve this. Psalm 133.1 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell together in unity. Our gatherings, our fellowship, our public interactions ought to be filled with the aroma of Christ described here in Ephesians. Drawing each of us closer and closer to the Savior. Even as, as it invites that, that, that aroma of Christ, even as it invites the lost to experience our fragrant joy. If we do, we will be a good and pleasing body. We will hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I pray that in the darkness of a spiritual winter that many of us feel like we are in, that we would be servants and ambassadors, offering a singular faith, hope, and love. Through the sweetness of one Lord and God, as we preserve the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. Amen? That we would preserve that which has been entrusted to us.